Superintendent Skipper and I won't settle for anything less than academic excellence across all our schools, accessible to all our students. Under newly created leadership roles focused on academics and getting resources down to the school level, we're investing in staff, professional development, and curriculum for the equitable literacy foundation that empowers rigor and engagement across all subjects. I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Happy Groundhog Day. Hey, happy Groundhog Day. What happened? It appears the groundhogs saw their shadow, and we had about six more weeks of winter. Oh, God. Not good news. Well, Ross, the clip that you heard at the top of this episode is from Mayor Wu's State of the City address last month. Here, she lays out the vision that she and the superintendent share for BPS, a vision for investing in curriculum, professional development, and equitable literacy, among other things, a vision for academic excellence. And last night, Superintendent Skipper presented her first budget proposal, a budget that should deliver on each of these high-level objectives. So, Ross, let's get into it. The meeting was kicked off by the superintendent's report. Right. So, Jill, first, the superintendent addressed the issue with payroll for BPS, as you recall, in the last meeting. And, and publicly, we've heard a lot about this with teachers not getting their back pay and just um, incorrect pay based on the last contract that was settled with the Boston Teachers Union. It appears that this payroll issue is quickly being fixed. You know, Jill, honestly, like there was no big file from the city. I think we discussed this last time that maybe the reason was because I wondered, there was a, I wondered a giant what, file and, yeah, like did they carry it over from yeah. City Hall and reams of paper <laughs> right. or this wild? Right. No yeah. mention of the big file. All that was mentioned was that, as we sort of discussed last time, that basically people are inputting the appropriate pay. So they just people. it just hadn't gotten done. Hasn't gotten done. And now it's done. It, it does appear that they're hiring more people yeah. in human capital and payroll to fix this issue. But again, Jill, this wasn't a mysterious issue. There wasn't this wasn't an issue of how do we do this for the first time. This has been done dozens and dozens of times after each contract. This is not a failure of anything but the system not doing their job. Yeah. Jill, also, the superintendent addressed the mergers of schools. And so this is specifically related to the Shaw-Taylor merger and the merger of the Philbrick and the Sumner schools. And the superintendent said, look, we're going to delay this a little bit further. So we won't do anything until the fall of 2024 to merge these schools together. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're going to add a fifth grade to the Shaw because the students will be able to stay there, which Keep is there, right? kind of exactly what the Shaw families were advocating for for over a year. Right. And this kind of points to, Jill, like it's kind of going to be difficult to do this work going forward around mergers, right? Like if they, it takes multiple years to figure out how these schools merge together, mm -hmm. we got to find a better way of doing this. And well, so- I'm sorry, was anyone doing the work? Because we're talking about something that happened over two different superintendent regimes at this point with Superintendent Skipper kind of just coming in and picking- up this work. If you're going to merge two schools, merge two schools, right? And get the community around it, take care of the community, make sure that everyone has a place in whatever the new solution is that you come up with. It kind of feels like the reason they've got to kick the can to 2024 is that there was not, again, there was nothing done in implementation. Exactly. I think this is about engagement and really lack of engagement of these school communities and getting their buy-in to figure out how to make 
something better for their children. Jill, we heard from three different people last night on this issue. First, mm. Mr. Cardet Hernandez asked the question, what are the criteria for schools to merge with one another? I'm sort of wondering, like, why these mergers? Uh, you know, how many can people anticipate? But I guess more importantly, what is the criteria we're using to make decisions around mergers? He's, he kind of said, look, is there a school, is there a size issue? Like if, we, if schools are so small, are they not viable and should we merge them? And here's the answer from the chief of staff of the Boston Public Schools. That's a question that I would probably, I, I, I can't give you the direct answer right now. I would have to look at just the broader scope of the school and, and um, just based, gather other information, but I, I wouldn't be able to give you the direct answer right now. Hopefully someone picks that up and makes that a to-do. And then, and then we heard the question around school closure and should parents be able to choose a new school if they're not satisfied with sort of the merger, the yeah. sort of forced merger of schools? And here's the answer from a representative of BPS about this. So families who have enrolled for next year, nothing in the immediate future changes for them, there's and in any case, no no school here is closing, right? This is a opportunity to build a stronger school. Jill, um, I'm sorry, but to say that there is no closure of schools, yeah, is a it's not come correct. on. Well, you've like, got two schools, and then you're going to have one school. If you have two schools, one of them is named the PA Shaw, and the other is named the Taylor, and now one school is merging with the other and they're both called the Taylor. Yeah. And PA Shaw is no longer a school. Feels like it's the school is closed. Yeah. Well, the building, right? They don't need all the buildings. No. Yeah. I mean, come on. Can we stop pretending that everything is fine? Nothing to see here. You know, please don't look any further. No, come on. It was sort of a theme though of this meeting and uh, you know, who knows what the driver of it was, but there was a lot of, uh, it's not happening. It's not yeah, yeah, we're it's not, not closing. It's okay. Everyone's getting fine. fired. We, 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 you know, we're in. We're, we have abundance this year. We have lots of money, and right. so for one more year, at least, we, you know, nothing bad is happening. Nothing, nothing to see here. Instead of saying, like, look, this is the reality of the situation. We don't have as big a school population as we used to, and therefore, we need to, we need to be strategic to make sure that every child gets to go back to Mayor. Wu's point at the opening, a, you know, a, a great education. Jill, we did also hear from a Sumner parent last night around this issue of school mergers. Mm-hmm. And here's what she had to say. How was it decided that these mergers are necessary and urgent without a facilities actions plan? And how did BPS select which schools to merge? What are the tangible benefits for Shaw and Taylor students? Neither the Shaw nor Taylor building is currently in a condition to provide a quality guarantee to students. In fact, they are two of the buildings with the highest renovation needs. What are the specific improvements that will be made to these schools? What is the budget and what is the timeline? Based on current enrollment trends, there's enough space in the Shaw building to accommodate grade expansion to sixth grade, at least in the short term, until a newer renovated school building is available. Why are other single strength school districts, many with lower concentration of BIPOC and high needs students, not being merged? It is disheartening to hear that you have understood since September that you were not authentically engaging families. Yet seven months later, this has not improved. It is also upsetting to hear that BPS staff clearly have no idea why these communities were chosen to merge. 
you are taking away the stability of a community with no explanation of why or the supposed advantages. We would demand equity for all BPS communities. Thank you and apologies for going over time. So Jill, this is so interesting about what is reported in these meetings, right? Like at, we are solving this issue. Everything's going to be fine with the Sumner and the Philbrick merger and then what the reality is, yeah. right? So we heard from the superintendent that we're engaging the Sumner and Philbrick communities, that the buildings would be renovated. And in fact, the parents are heavily involved now and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Then we hear from the parents who are leading this effort. And guess what, Jill? They're saying, we're still not fine. We're trying to be fine, but we're still not fine. There seems to be a disconnect yeah. within the school department about what is said as the vision and the work. And the people who are implementing the work seem to maybe be disconnected from that vision. Yeah. So Jill, we have a budget presented last night, a preliminary budget that's required every year to be presented on this first school committee meeting of February. Yep. And the budget we have is $1.4 billion. Right. That's about a $65 million increase from last year's budget. We have a $12 million increase in transportation. In this budget, they're adding about $9 million for special education, for inclusive practices. Everything is going up, right? And Jill, kind of what was discussed here? And by the way, like the per pupil expenditure is about $28,800 per student in this budget. Right. Okay. And, you know, in, which is not that drastically different than other large urban districts, right? right? The cost of education has gone up dramatically. It wasn't, you know, a few years ago that $20,000 per pupil was actually a large amount. And you can see where our, our costs are dramatically going up. There was a big question around number of students in our district last night. My final question, this one's super easy. I just want to make sure I'm reading the slide correctly. Mr. Cadet Hernandez asked, he said, look, it, this budget seems to be based on a number of an increase in students. In fact, this budget document says we're going to have over 50,000 students next year, which is quite an increase from this year. Are we projecting an enrollment increase next year? It looks like we're back over 50,000 students. And here's what CFO Nate Cooter said about that increase. We are anticipating fewer students next fall than we have enrolled this fall. However, this fall, we over-projected the decline. And so our projected numbers are increasing based on a number of factors, most notably the return of English learner students. Right. So, I mean, Mr. Cooter basically said, yes, we're the, this budget is based on more students, but we know we're actually going to have less students. Yeah. So, which is very perplexing. You know, the budget's going up, the number of students is going down, and it's not a question of like how much we're spending really because it's commensurate with other urban districts. The question is like the quality of the spend. Are we getting what we need? There is a question about projections and the projections seem like they would be off if you were looking at trends. But then the bigger question is, okay, well, whether it's 51,000 kids or 49,000 kids, like we got a budget here and are we spending it well? Simply having a budget presentation each year, which is, this has happened for the last, I would say five years or so. Yeah. Each budget presentation has been based on how much money above and beyond last year's contract is the city giving the school department to run the schools. The lead every year for the last at least five years has been how much has the mayor of Boston been giving extra to the school department. And that seems to be like, that's a win, right? If, if the superintendent always begins 
each of these presentations, and we look back to all the presentations from the previous years, they all begin with how much more the mayor is giving the school system. I not I understand it. Not how much better the services will be for our students or how much better the outcomes will be for our students. Nothing about what our students will receive as a benefit from this, but rather, thank you, Mayor, for giving us more money. It's a very like Daddy Warbucks way to look at, you know, running a school district. How much are you going to give me this year? And that's what we'll talk about as opposed to how much was our budget this year and how are we going to spend it to make sure we actualize the goals and objectives that the mayor and the superintendent have laid out? John Mudd, who's a longtime educational advocate, made a recommendation. He, he's actually making a plea. He makes an annual plea. And, and let's just play that. The usual budget presentation focuses on limited new expenditures in selected areas, but not the full budget in those areas. For example, it may emphasize a $5 million increase in funding for special education, but not tell us what BPS is doing with the overall $350 million that is spent in that area. Secondly, the line item budget is hard to understand. It shows the total spent for staff or other categories like benefits, school supplies, facilities, and so forth. But it is difficult for parents, the public, and I would suggest even for school committee members to know what this actually means in the real world of schools, students, and classrooms. A program budget can help people understand what a budget means in practice. It would show to all of us how BPS spends its dollars in program areas like special education or English learners or summer schools or transportation or general administration. It tells us not only what we buy, but what we get for the money we spend with narrative explanations about the purpose and context of a program. So Jill, what John is saying is, hey, okay, in this budget, you're saying we're going to add $9 million, for example, for special education, but we spend, you know, over $200 million in special education. How about we talk about the $209 million we spent on special education? Where do those dollars go? How are they benefiting our students? How do we know those dollars are actually being invested successfully so our students are benefiting from that investment, right? No mention of that in this budget. They don't present the sort of overall budget, programmatic budget. So we don't. We can never get insight into what is this 9 million on top of 200 million actually going to leverage? Yeah. For example, Jill, I mean, another example is we're adding $12 million on transportation, right? We know we have a broken transportation system. And so we're adding $12 million to a $140 million transportation contract. What are we getting out of that? Will the buses be on time all of a sudden for the right. $12 million? Nobody talks about it, right? We just say we're adding $12 million and everyone's kind of okay with it. Well, they all, a lot of the board members last night asked about return on investment and we're talking about ROI. And I think they are thinking about ROI the wrong way. You know, in a services business, which is what public education is, the outcomes should be measured. Like you have to decide, okay, how are we going to quantify those things? One way to do that is test scores. Another way to do that is graduation rates. Another way to do that is attendance. Are kids showing up? Another right. way to do that is attrition. Are kids quitting? You know, and so I, I think, you know, if you're going to talk about ROI, then ask about the right returns. And that word, you know, you can't just throw around the word ROI. Everyone's kind of got a level set around what, what are our expectations when we spend this money? So Joe, this question of measure, like what do we get out of this budget? I'm hopeful that this comes up over and over again through this 
budget process, right? Yeah. So there's going to be multiple hearings. Some of them will be focused on schools. Some of them will be focused on central office spending. Some of them will be focused on, on special education, hopefully, and English language learners. Mm. And I hope that the district begins to articulate how the investments that they're making will provide better outcomes for our students. I mean, it could, you could. there's a million things you could measure in terms of student satisfaction, student happiness, whether or not students and their families feel like students are safe in their schools. Do teachers feel like they're safe? You know, does everyone have, you know, what they need? What are the outcomes in terms of test scores? What are the outcomes in terms I mean, we're going to go around in circles again, but... What I would want to see right now, Jill, is data from across the district on the MAP assessment. So yeah. the MAP assessment is our formative data system that is essentially predictive of MCAS performance. Yep. And all of our students across our district take it. We know all of our students have taken it twice this year. Yep. And why not at this time show the mid-year MAP data and say, here's how our students are doing. Here's how much growth they're making. Yep. Here's where they should be. And this budget is going to work to ensure that all of our students are meeting growth goals, which is at least 50% growth, and are meeting our grade level benchmarks. And here's how we're going to do it. Right. That's what I would expect from this on the academic side. Absolutely. Yeah. I instead, mean, we've got like, but, you know, we've got academic. Well, go ahead. You could say instead, but like there's there's an academic measure. There should be a safety measure. There should be a wellness measure. Like do kids, you know, do they have an, do they have enough food? Do they have the kinds of food that they prefer? Can they you know, do they have facilities where they can exercise? You know, you know like uh, like there's a bunch of measures that we could just that I don't know should be reported on. They should be reported on. School and, committee and should be worried about it. I, I, it was clear to me last night, Jill, that the school committee members, multiple school committee members, were not satisfied with this budget. And from our student representative yeah. who expressed yes. concern about the fiscal cliff ahead and how will we deal with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's play that quote. For the positions that will be cut, what exactly are we going to do to mitigate the, the things lost? Like, for example, if we were to cut a gym teacher, right, what would an idea be to mitigate that? Like, would it be like to have someone from Playworks come in? And, and here's a response from the superintendent. I think what's important to stress is they're not being cut, right? They're not being cut. Because I think, I think what Diego is thinking is that those positions are going away. And so I think just to be clear, that the funding mechanism is changing, right? But it is signaling to our schools that we are needing to think about when ESSER ends and as the soft landings go away, there will be decision points that are going to need to happen in next year's budget and to follow. And now here's a response from Diego. Can I just say I'm thinking about not next year, but two years out? Because when they will be cut, there needs to be a fall back a brace there because if I, if they're cut it needs to be gradual because too fast change sometimes is can be detrimental clearly jill diego knows what he's talking about yeah he knows because he's in a school he's mm -hmm. a student in a school he knows what it feels like to benefit from the supports that he's receiving but he also probably knows what it feels like to have staff or to have those things being taken away from him. Right. And he's saying, he's asking, he's saying, how do we do this responsibly? How will we do this going forward? How will this feel? And nobody's really wanting to engage Diego in that conversation. Well, because nobody, because they, this is a kick the can budget kick ceremony, the can budget. 
right? Like this is not about how we see 24 and 25 going. This is about 23. Yeah. This is saying we know what's going to happen in 24, yeah. 25, but let's not, let's pretend that's not going to happen. Maybe we'll figure out how to fix it by then. So Mr. Cornette Hernandez also asked this great question about how many people are we adding in this budget? Like I don't, it's hard for me to understand what is new. Like I sort of, I see the headline and then even some of like the edu speak like embedded in it, but mm -hmm. like, I don't know what any of this, I don't know what most of this means sort of like on the ground. Like mm -hmm. what is the new head count? How many schools are going to be impacted? And at first the answer was, we don't know. But then after a couple of people who came on, the answer came up. It was actually, we're adding 209 positions in this budget going forward. Right. The budget as currently presented tonight reflects 209 additional FTE. Mr. Cornette Hernandez then asked, how many openings, vacancies do we have? And the answer we heard from the leadership of BPS was, we don't know. In fact, Jill, we heard in previous meetings that there was hundreds of vacancies and that they were tracking them on a daily basis. Right. So how we don't know the number of vacancies is really concerning. But we're adding staff members onto a bunch of other staff members where we already have vacancies. So what is our plan for ensuring that we that these people that we're hiring or supposedly hiring, these positions that we're supposedly hiring actually are filled. Well, it does sound like human capital is back in business. So maybe we'll fill those now. Maybe, maybe. I have no idea. But but there's also questions. I mean, th th there's other questions. How many classrooms are not full? Right. Answer, we don't know. Right. How many school buildings are not full, are getting soft landings? Answer, we don't know. In fact, we saw that data a couple of meetings ago where they said over, I think it was over 80% of yes. our schools are actually receiving soft landings. So BPS is just, the leadership is just pretending not to know answers to basic questions that are drivers of this budget. And all they can say is we don't know. Yeah. I don't understand why they wouldn't want to own it. Oh, I have an idea. It. I have an idea because Mr. Cadet Hernandez yeah. referred to this in this comment. If I'm re if I'm understanding this, like there is a reality, there will be cuts. There will be cuts and that probably means unless we think that there's major programs to cut that don't have uh, personnel implications, it sounds like there's personnel cuts that are impacted. But then the other way that I'm thinking about this, as we talk about soft landings, and I agree that I think it's a sort of both and, right? Like it allowed people to stay in stable environments for longer time. And then at the same time, I don't think there was probably the political will to have the hard conversations about right-sizing the system and then doing the work to make that happen. So Jill, I mean, I think what, what he's saying is right. Yeah. There is no political will. Yeah. There is no political will to take on hard challenges. And as we heard from the beginning of this episode, we're in education this year, we're kind of holding. But so what is the strategy then? Empty the funnel? Like let continue to let families leave It'll shrink on its own. Like I, I don't understand why a do-nothing strategy is okay. I don't know why, why our school committee members, why our families, why the general public is allowing the district at this point to not drastically work on improving performance for kids and having a long-term plan. I don't know why we're all not demanding that right now. I think it's because the budget is bigger than ever before. And so if that's the top line that you hear, then it, it probably doesn't feel like there's a problem. Maybe. One thing that came up last night around ESSER funding. So Jill, remember this budget over $1.4 billion does not include the hundreds of millions of dollars in ESSER funding. 
that the district also has. Right. Okay. And uh, here's member Lorena LaPera asking about ESSER. Where is the evaluation of these investments? Again, like what, what were we able to accomplish with these ESSER funds so that we can then make an intentional decision about what future investments are going to look like? And as a committee member, I have yet to see that. I know I can go on the website and I can see like what schools were allocated funding and what their um, dream project was, but what have we actually done? So Jill, I, I really appreciate this question. It, before, you know, because the district is basically saying, we're going to take all that is good with ESSER mm -hmm. and move it into this abyss of the general fund, right? We're going to put it all into the general fund and, and anything that works. And Ms. LaPera is saying, tell me what works. We, we have no insight into what is working. We know that the district put out the paper tutoring platform. Are we rolling that into the general budget? We bought technology called paper. It's a platform it's a tutoring platform with the intention of helping kids catch up, catch up, like so, so solve for learning loss with paper, the the technology platform, and that went into the system probably December ish of twenty one. This is what she's asking about. What what were the outcomes of those? How many kids? Yeah, should on? should we put it? Should we put that in the general fund? Is that effective like did we it, does it work yeah um how, and and we have no data we have no insight but right. La, miss lapera miss lapera knows once it goes in the general fund jill it's really hard to cut because yeah. to john mudd's point unless you dig in every year into a programmatic budget and understand where the money is going you don't have insight it just rolls over year after year right so all all these budgets do is just if once it's in the general fund they just roll it over and add some more you know, here's another question, like, you know, to Ms. LaPera's point, how many schools have librarians? How many schools, do they all have libraries now? Like there's a whole bunch of- Because that's what they voted to spend the ESSER funding they on. Voted, they voted on yeah. adding positions. Right. Add, how many of those positions are actually, are working? Do they, you know, we have no insight into this question, but what's happening now is they're moving ESSER, these ESSER positions into the general fund with and without any insight into if they're working or not. Now, Jill. And whether or not they need all the existing vacancies. Is right, it? they have no idea, and we I, and we yeah. don't know. Right, we, we have a whole bunch of vacancies we don't and we can't fill, and we don't know if those are actually essential positions. Yeah, Jill, here's what I think this year is. It's like a all-you-can-eat buffet, right? There is food everywhere around a table, and I believe everybody is just trying to grab that food, right? They're trying to put it in their backpacks, put it into their their pocketbooks, they're putting it in their bags, and on a school by school basis, school by and, school, and central and central, right? Office. And they're basically like, let me grab as much as I can, right? And I'm going to put it away. And I, I know there's a, it going forward, I'm, I'm not going to have, the buffet is going to be gone next year. Right. So I'm going to try to grab as much as I can now and, and just hold on to it. And that's what it seems, it seems like a lack of coordination overall. And everyone's just trying to grab their share and increasing their, you know, their individual fiefdoms. Jill, each classroom, if you have a full classroom on average, should, the, the expenditure is about $720,000 per classroom. Right, so if you're going to build a school, if you're going to build an education for your, but you got to just like seven hundred twenty thousand dollars for a classroom of twenty twenty five kids. Twenty five kids. kids would be you know roughly seven hundred and twenty thousand right. dollars. What would you want to see in that classroom to for seven hundred twenty thousand dollars? And in fact, you know when we have this cliff coming up, we're going to have to make these hard decisions. Mm -hmm. And the question is like ten percent of that, about seventy two thousand dollars, is going to yellow school buses.
is that what we want? Like, right. do we want 10% for each classroom? Yeah. For each classroom? Like, yeah. like it, we, and it's not just transportation. There's all of these things that there's different departments. There's different people that have been added centrally that never have an impact on a kid. Yeah. And it's like, what do we want out of this system? And Jill, what I would say to close this out is there's no better time to work on hard things than now. When you're flush. When you're flush. Totally. When you're flush, when you actually have the resources. There's no better time to work on hard things than when you have the resources. Waiting till all your resources are gone to make hard decisions, it may be politically easier, but it's not the right thing to do. And that's what happened last night at Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.